Greetings, fellow imps. I'm Imp Fossil Tom Hensky, and I'd like to welcome you to From Nowhere to Now Here, Where Incarnate Memories Prevail. Like many incoming first years, I entered the university a blank canvas. You get it, nowhere. But four years later, I grew to now here. And when I look back at that transformation, it was the friendships that I built through the imps that were a huge part of that growth. But where did everyone end up? I'm going to take us on a journey to find them, to catch up with the friends we've lost touch with. And in doing so, my mission is to rekindle these amazing relationships. Imp Nation, we're back. Guess who we have in the house today? John Crotty. What's up, my man? How are you? I'm great, man. Good to be on. Great to hear from you, first of all, man. And then great to uh, get on this podcast, get with some uh, former Imp love. I, I love that you're getting this, this podcast going, man. You've, you've got some serious momentum. Get some great folks on here. Yeah, it's been a blast. And, uh, you know, I was thinking back after I talked to you a couple of weeks ago and my memory, we were just, we overlapped for a year. And I remember our Bryant Hall interactions, right? Which were always a lot of fun. And yeah. like, there's a theme going on here, right? So the first theme is like, every time you walk in there, you're like the mayor saying hello to everyone. Like, especially your fourth year, you were big time, but you never big timed anybody, which, which was awesome. But I want you to, I want to tell you this story. So every time I meet someone from New Jersey and they find out that I'm from uh, UVA, they always ask about you. And especially when I run into families who've had kids, they went to CBA, which we'll talk a little about. Um, and everyone's like, oh yeah, that guy was great guy, great player. So, and I, and it was amazing when I first reached out to you for this interview, you didn't even like hesitate. You're like, hell yeah, I'm on there. And I just think it says a lot about you. And I know everyone's been asking me, how do we get John on? And it was like in a nanosecond, you responded. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. So thanks for joining. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I have such great memories, both at the university in general and, and you know, obviously playing there and, and being part of organizations like uh, the M Society, too, just because that's what, to me, makes UVA so special is just, you know, creating that that camaraderie and, and having that well-rounded, you know, experience, which I think, unfortunately, today is getting more and more lost with everyone kind of specializing. So uh, thanks for having me on. So, like I mentioned CBA. So tell me about your high school experience and then how it led to get you to UVA. Oh, look, my high school experience was 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 really good. I'm uh, from central Jersey, from that Monmouth County area in New Jersey. And um, at the time, the, the really the best school from a, an athletic and academic standpoint in that area was Christian Brothers Academy, which is an all guys school. You either you either finish going to a college or they send you to the Marine Corps. That's kind of the way it works. So uh, <laughs> a great place to prep you for life and um, a great place to to begin and learn how to get after it academically with with no ladies. There's very few distractions. You get after it and they they keep you uh, accountable for sure. And um, I think there I started learning how to balance, you know, academics and, and, and athletics. And with um, 
I played multiple sports, but obviously basketball was my first love and, and really something I, after playing soccer and baseball early in my, my high school career, focused on the basketball and got was heavily recruited and blessed to be a, um, a McDonald's All-American. And that really gave me incredible exposure. Um, you know, you know, from a, from a soccer perspective, being highly recruited and, and the McDonald's All-American thing gave me the opportunity to really uh, you know, be highly recruited by some of the best schools in the country with, with UVA being there. And that was, you know, sort of my first um, foray into looking and thinking about where I was going to go to college. And, and UVA, um, you know, was up there with University of North Carolina at the time, Notre Dame, which, which where I'm from, which is very Irish Catholic, you know, that's like going to heaven if you get into Notre Dame. So <laughs> I had to look at Notre Dame, uh, looked at Stanford as, as well as Villanova. So you know, really some, some great schools and, and really enjoyed that, that overall experience. And I thought CBA, um, you know, as a high school really helped prepare me uh, for life and, and for, you know, for college. So uh, how did you wind up picking UVA? What was the differentiating factor from all those other schools? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I get asked, I've been asked that a bunch. I, it's, you know, I, to me, it was kind of the best combination of of academics, which was, you know, highly reinforced by my parents. Um, you know, the basketball situation was a good one. And then when I came down and actually visited, you know, the social aspect of Virginia really appealed to me too, because I wanted to have fun too. I wanted to, I didn't want to be just, uh, you know, going from the classroom to the basketball, um, arena and, and and that's my whole existence. I wanted to have some of that, you know, good fun and, and and meet other people and just really, really enjoy the overall experience. And I think I did that. I mean, I think I, I maxed it out. And Virginia just felt like the best feeler. I mean, Carolina was a school that I really highly contemplated. My dad played ball there. Um, I went to Carolina basketball school, but, you know, they came on late on the recruiting. Um, Dean Smith had a policy where he didn't like to recruit former player's sons um, because of a, a situation he had early in his career where it went south. It was not a good situation for him. So he came on late and he, he over, you know, tend to over recruit and have people that um, were other McDonald's Americans. You know, he wanted everyone to come. Um, Notre Dame was a school I, I think was probably the closest in terms of a runner up, but they actually weren't part of a conference yet. Um, so that was kind of a, a deciding factor to me. Um, I always sort of envisioned a, an ACC type type campus. And it was interesting because look, you know, you're from the, the New York area. The Big East at that time was rolling. I mean, you know, there were a lot of good schools. Three of the four teams in the final four, um, you know, right before I went to, to college were, were from the Big East. Um, but I just always had in my head that, you know, the beautiful, you know, green, green uh, campus and, and uh, uh, you know, just sort of that ACC mentality, I think, uh, I think that was, was really the deciding factor for me. Although Villanova had just won, and that was a big, a lot of those students actually went from my school there because it's a Jesuit school. So I had, a, I had an incredible visit there, which uh, was great too. But, but, but Virginia was really just the best fit of everything, Tom. I mean, it was a great uh, academic school. I loved Coach Terry Holland on the basketball side. I saw a path for me where I could play, which was really important and be, you know, highly featured, hopefully, um, you know, get a chance to play right away, right away as a freshman and then hopefully take the team over from there, which is uh, what I did. You know, it's funny, you stole my thunder on the Villanova comment because I grew up <laughs> on Long Island, a St. John's fan. 
And I remember when I was in middle school and then up until high school, we had a basketball coach. He had season tickets to the St. John's games, right? So we would go into the garden and see Villanova. And you're probably talking about that national championship team. I think with the McLean brothers and a couple of other people. And then there was, yeah. Yeah. Like even like Seton Hall was like, I think PJ Carlissimo might've been coaching there if memory serves me correct. So I mean, that was right in your backyard. And for yeah, those yeah. schools to let you get out of there was like a travesty for them. Gift for us, but travesty for them. Because it's, I mean, literally right in the backyard, right? Yeah, I mean, look, it was. But, I mean, there was just the fit. I mean, Seton Hall, look, God, God bless it. But, you know, you go up there and you go visit that campus versus Virginia, and it's a no-brainer, right? Um, you know, and Villanova was a school that probably – 10, 15 kids from my high school went all every year. So that was a little bit more of a, uh, a normal, a normal deal, but I, I had a great time there. They took great care of me. Raleigh really recruited me hard. Um, I just felt like um, the fit was better at, at, at Virginia. Um, but um, look, I had, I had such a great recruiting experience. I mean, I really did. I mean, I, look, I, they picked me up in a private plane, you know, Virginia did at, at my, you know, came in, picked me up in a limo and took me to, I, I was blown out of my mind as a 17, 18 year old and, um, you know, flew me down and gave me the Royal treatment. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it wasn't, wasn't too shabby. Right. I mean, it's <laughs> um, pretty amazing. Not, not quite the same now with the nil and all that, um, going on with the name image likeness stuff, but, um, pretty, pretty heady stuff when you're 17, 18 years old back then. Was there any sort of culture shock coming from Jersey and going down to Charlottesville? Actually, yeah, there was. I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I remember the first month we would go out uh, uh, with team. We do different team meals. I remember eating grits for the first time and not knowing what the hell they were, you know, eating oatmeal from, from New Jersey and being like, what, what's a grit? You know, I was, it was like a, my cousin Vinny, you know, kind of vibe going on, right. Um, and, you know, coming down with my, with my work boots and my, you know, acid wash jeans and everyone's down here wearing their khakis and, you know, collared shirts. It was a little, uh, it was a little bit of a different vibe, Tom. And I, I think you probably can vouch for that too, coming from where you came from. But, you know, the, the beauty of, I thought, um, was a lot of the athletes actually were from the Northeast and, you know, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. And, and there was a lot of commonality there and friendships that were struck early there. And, uh, you know, that, that helped balance you know, some of that, that initial, you know, acclimation. But um, again, I, I really enjoyed getting to know the Virginia culture and, and, and some of the students, obviously, uh, that was a big part of, of my existence here. I probably shouldn't admit this publicly, but when I moved into my dorm the first year, I had like a whole bunch of button down collared shirts and I had um, an ironing board that I put behind the door (laughs) and i'm like and so i've got that going on my roommate was from wauwatosa wisconsin and he was like long-haired like more hippie like it's like the two of us couldn't like have been not fitting in any more than any student in the history of the university so i got the odd couple right felix and oscar i love it yeah totally so, okay, you get there and you're living in the dorm. Who did you live with your first year? Usually they pair you up with a basketball player, right? That's right. Oh, that's right. They did. It was Dor Castro, who is one of my good friends to this day and actually runs the VAF for Junior Aid Foundation and helps raise all the money for the scholarship. So he keeps me plugged into the university and uh, 
it's amazing. Uh, you know, that bond when you live with people your first year, it, it, it tends to carry forward. And, and obviously having him be on the team was was special. And Matt Blunden and Kenny Turner were in the suite in the suite right next or in the room right next to us within the five uh you know, room suite. Um, and we were in those new, at the time they were the new dorms over there, um, closer to Scott stadium. But, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a great time with those guys. And we had the older guys kind of pick us up and look after us, uh, you know, as the season progressed. So then take me through your first year. What was it like? First year was tough. I mean, challenging academics. And of course I over-programmed myself, which was not really I thought a great, great thing for myself. My initial uh, plan was to get into the business school. And I, so I wound up kind of over-programming myself. I think I took 17 credits the first semester is what I remember when I probably should have been taking like, you know, 12 or 15 at the most. Um, and so it just it made things tough. The preseason was very challenging with the basketball. Uh, five days a week, we were either running three miles in the morning or they had us doing like aerobics at the time, you know, which was crazy. Um, and we'd do that at about, we'd get up at six 30, do that, you know, from seven to eight, eight 30, and then, and then breakfast and right into classes and then come back and you're right into playing and weights and, and things of that nature. So it was, uh, it was, you know, right into it by the, by weekend, I, I remember Dirk and I being la laying in our respective beds, just so sore the phone would ring like for someone to go out on a Friday night and neither one of us, you know, could, could lean over and pick up the damn phone. Um, but you know, that didn't stop me, man. I, I love getting out and having a good time and Friday and Saturday night, uh, were, were good times during that fall, that fall run. I'm um, going out to rugby road and, uh, you know, meeting some, some, uh, the better friends that I wound up making at the university through, um, you know, both athletics and also getting out and having a good time, um, after classes. So, uh, I, I really enjoyed um, the fall, but uh, bas basketball season got into it. Um, we had a we had a really tough first year. Um, it was the worst win loss year I ever had in my life. Um, we wound up finishing, I think it was like thirteen and eighteen. And you know, our senior leadership unfortunately just didn't do the best job. Um, and I'm not going to name names, but but they just really didn't provide the stability and leadership they should have, and and the team really faltered. And it was. I think it was like one of the worst years Coach Holland, um, Terry Allen ever had. Um, but what it did do for me, Tom, was it opened up an opportunity at the end of the year where I got to actually start like six or seven straight games and gave me the confidence and the momentum to then go into the summer to continue to work and, and really and, and really take over um, in my second year then as, a, as the point guard and one of the leaders of the team going forward. So let me ask you about that. You were just talking about when you used to go out to Rugby Road and things like that. So this might be an awkward answer to give, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. So like at what point did you start walking around and people like noticed you in a little bit of a fandom way? Uh, and was it always like special and felt good or was it a little bit annoying and you wish you could blend in a little bit once in a while? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. So my first year, I felt like I look as a six, two white guy, I fit, I fit in okay, you know, and could blend in and didn't really have much of a, uh, a problem with that. Um, as the season, you know, went on, there are times where people would want to, you know, talk basketball, whatever. And I was always amicable to doing that. And, 
and stuff. The challenge, the challenging thing is when things aren't going well and, you know, people have an opinion and they get some alcohol in them. And that's always, always uh, challenging as I'm sure you remember from your days of playing when things don't go well and, you know, you pick your spots, but uh, I, I found more from second year on is, is when I started having to deal with more of that. But, you know, look, I, I still try not to let that stop me, you know. So you still got out there. You never Absolutely. got to the point by your fourth year that you're like, oh, I don't even feel like going out right now. Nope. I, yeah. I would go out all the time. Obviously, if we had a, a tough stretch or a bad run or whatever, I, you know, I was more you know, careful about um, putting myself in a position where I wouldn't, you know, have confrontations and, and wind up, you know, with my personality also getting heated, <laughs> getting in trouble too, right? I mean, it's just got to make smart decisions. And and then frankly, as the year goes on, and and, and you know this, you get tired. I mean, I, I didn't quite go out as much during the season, um, late in the season. Um, but, um, and I had little spot places that I would go that were comfortable and, you know, that you treated as a, uh, a regular like cheers and just do your thing, you know? So tell me about when did you decide the business school wasn't going to be your thing? And then how did you yeah. pivot? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And, and one, you know, um, that was hard for me, you know, in, in terms of navigating some of those challenging classes and trying to balance that with all the time that I was spending. Look, the university does an amazing job, as you know, of pro providing tutors and support and all, all those things. But um, you know, it just became a lot. Um, so I, in my second year, I realized, you know, that it was just going to be really hard for me, um, not only to complete, you know, what I had to, um, and do it at a high level, but then I just kept thinking, man, my, th my third and fourth year are going to be brutal once I get into that, um, McIntyre School of Commerce. So I wound up, um, pivoting and becoming a history major. I love to read and write. I, I wound up doing that. And, uh, I want to say after I made that decision on my grades, I wound up becoming, you know, a, an academic all-American after that, taking some of that math out of the equation and let me just do my thing, reading and writing, enjoying that. Took a lot of pressure off me. Um, I really enjoyed history, too. I still do to this day. Love reading about it. One of my daughters actually came to the university and majored in, in history as well, which we, we uh, both had a good laugh about. So it, it's... Uh, it's done me right, man. It's, it's gave me the great base to do, you know, a lot of different things to be able to think and, and get up and talk about it and, and write and analyze. Um, so I'm, I'm very happy with, with, uh, the, the choice that I made. So two questions, did your daughter have any of the same professors that you had? And the second no. question I'm going to ask is, did you dare to share your transcript with her to compare the grades <laughs> that you got versus the grades she got? No, no, that's funny. I don't even know where my transcript is. So I didn't do that. But, you know, I always made myself sound a lot smarter than I was. I mean, as only a dad can do, right, Tom? <laughs> guilty, <laughs> guilty. <laughs> I would tell you, I just, look, I don't know about the teachers. I I, I don't think any of them were still around, um, you know, afterward, unfortunately. Uh, we had some commonalities with some of the deans and some of the leadership, but, um you know, not necessarily from a, from a teaching perspective. Yeah. The only one, um, cause you know, my son goes there now we had overlap with was Ken Elzinga, who was the econ teacher. That's right. And so that's right. Yeah. when my son got that on his, you know, his course load, I said, Oh my God, that's crazy. Like to, to think the same <laughs> professor, right? Yeah. Uh, that's really cool. Especially if you had a relationship with him. I mean, 
one of my favorite professors and a great class that I took was early on was uh, Fred Deal, the, the biology um, teacher. And, uh, you know, I wound up taking a, a going on that marine biology thing that he would do at the end of the spring term. I don't know if you happened to do that, but that was just an incredible class where we went down to Mexico and we wound up diving and snorkeling and keeping journals about what we saw and just having a great time. And it was an amazing trip. Okay. So you, blazed, you yeah, you blazed the path for me to be able to do that because <laughs> as you remember, well, and, and for most of the people listening, they may not know the story. Dr. Deal would take pr- traditionally one athlete per year. So there were 30 kids in the class and he, I don't know why he would just throw one athlete and intended to be a basketball player. So I know it was you. I want to say it was Bryant Stith, but I'm not 100% sure. Well, London, Matt Blunden and I actually both went the one year. Oh, uh, oh wow. We made first year, so he had two, and we it was it was great. I mean, he was – so go ahead. Tell me about – did you – and, and then I know Doug Fresh went on it, right? And it were something like Doug that. Doug could swim. That's unbelievable. Yeah, like a kid from Tennessee that can, can, can <laughs> swim. Imagine that, right? And I, the year that I wanted to go, there was no basketball player who was trying to get in. And so somewhat they tipped me off that this was my opportunity. And you know uh-huh. you had to go and interview. So oh, yeah. I'm sitting in front of him. He's looking at my transcript. He's looking at me. He's looking at my transcript. And he goes, Tom. I'm really struggling with this one. He goes, I don't even think you've taken a science class since you've been here. And I go, yes, I have. He goes, where? I go, how things work. That's a physics class. (laughs) So he said, and I had to make up a whole story. I said, look, here's the thing. You're going to have a lot of out of shape people in the sun. And by the time the end of that trip comes, everyone's going to be toast. Not me. I'm going to be super fit and keeping everyone alive and happy and smiling. I go, you need someone like me on this trip. And he said, I'm not quite sure I've ever heard a response like that in an interview. He goes, but that was really good. Let me think about it. And he gave me the spot in. So, yeah, I knew that one. That was it. That was it. And you blazed the path for us to be able to do that. Unbelievable trip still to this day. Just amazing. And he's such a he's a he's a studly dude. He's a great guy. I mean, he would go out on his own and backpack and find the different spots during the, the course of the winter. So that in the spring we would you know know where to go uh, at the end there. And I mean, it was cool. We went up and down that whole coast there to to places that, you know, there weren't even uh you know anglos going man there weren't any u.s citizens going i mean that that punta allen that lobster village sort of at the end of the uh peninsula there on right on the honduran border was like incredible crazy Uh, right i love it i love it um so what other memories do you have from your first couple of years first couple of years um let's see you know from uh in in the preseason just some of the crazy um you know, early, early morning workouts and um, running with the wrestling team, which was hysterical, getting to know those guys, we would always work out with those guys in the preseason workouts. So Derek Capana and Bowen Richwine and Matiko and uh, Ricky Brzezinski and all these characters. And we would be, you know, running and going through and some of us would have been out the night before and you're, you know, you feel like crap and you got to get up and run and you got your coaches yelling at you. And anyway, you had a great time to know those guys. And um, 
uh, you know, I think being able to um, uh, be part and get rushed and I actually um, joined a fraternity my, my second year, Delta Psi, uh, St. Anthony Hall. That was a, a great experience of being able to, again, have a, a more uh, normal, um, you know, sort of non-athletic type experience, getting to know other students and, and, and spend time with them and have a great time, you know, at the fraternity when I had the opportunity going over and eat, eat with with my brothers and then also, you know, have, have fun nights, um, you know, to have a good time together and just different events. So that was another cool thing that I was able to do. Um, but I did it my second year so that I was already established from a academic and athletic standpoint that worked out really well for me. Wait, where was that? Remind everybody where that your house was. St. Anthony Hall's there on the, um, uh, right on the, on the quad there by the, uh, you know, the field, um, behind, um, Sort of the president's office building. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Mad Ball, I think they call it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mad Ball, and it was yeah. right next to. At the time, it was Spi on one one side, uh, which no, is no longer there. Um, and um, anyway, it was, you know, they had the 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 moose head in the in the dance room there where we'd all hang out, and uh, it was it was just uh, a, a really good group of guys. And so what was your deal? Did you have one girlfriend while you were in college? Were you dating like different oh, girls? Look at that you play getting in the weeds on me. What is this turning into entertainment weekly on me now? Huh? Well, I mean, look, it, my... Be careful what you say here, right? This is, you know, it's a very. <laughs> I got to close viewed... the door. I got to close the door. It's a very viewed po and listened to podcast. I mean, it's nationwide. <laughs> like, like millions of people are going to be listening to this, John. So be super careful what you say. I love it, man. I love it. Look, I met my wife, Kara uh, Garth, who's Kara Crotty now at UVA. And we wound up going out the majority of the time um, that we were there. And then um, when, when I did graduate, she actually went to the McIntyre School of Commerce. She became, she was um, a CPA and she wound up working for Arthur Anderson. She kind of went her own way. And I ultimately um, followed my dream to play ball. And about three, four years later, we, re we reconnected and we've been married uh, ever since. So I uh, have good memories of UVA and, and, and all the beautiful women there, man, including my wife. So wait a second. So you guys dated and then took a, a three-year hiatus and then came back and got back together? Is that what I just heard? Yeah, yeah at, the end of, at the end of school. Yeah, which was great uh, because then you know, you know it's the right one, you know? Right, that's awesome, dude. So yeah. cool. So then do you remember the whole imp experience and getting inducted and stuff getting like that? Great. Loved it. I mean, it was so much fun. Uh, Kevin Cook, the football player who's from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, was our king daddy at the time. He was he was a trip. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed being part of the imps. The, I loved the tap tappings and uh, going out and with the with the pitchfork and <laughs> drinking the tuna um getting together yucking it up when we could and um the quality of the people was awesome i loved how it kind of reached into every segment of of the university too and just different backgrounds from you know academic folks people involved with the honor committee fraternity sororities ath athletic you know um backgrounds as well and and um and and just every you know i think everyone really bonded well together and it was it was a great example of um you know diversity and and um again just everyone kind of coming together which is what college to me should be about right just not staying in your one little 
lane, but but meeting different people and and, and having a richer experience as a result. Not everyone remembers their practical joke. Do you remember yours? I don't, man. I don't. I was trying to think back before we had the the, the uh, call here, but I, I cannot. And I think I just might have had too much tuna, man. I can't remember. Well, I, I think <laughs> half of the people, half of the people remember it because they were traumatized, and the other. Half I think it was an honor. It was an honor thing, um, which. By the way, you know, is traumatizing because when you're, you know, look, frankly speaking, when you're an athlete, I had it happen another time where someone, you know, made that allegation and it's so serious. And it's um, that I can't remember exactly how it went down, but that's the spirit of how I remember it. And it freaked me out more than I was like, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) (laughs) So then, um, did you know pretty much the whole time that you were going to go for getting in the NBA? Was that kind of like in your mind? No, not really. Um, I think, um, you know, back then you never really saw guys go, you know, one or two years and go into the NBA either. Right. It was a full four years. And then you, you know, you had to kind of work up to it. And, um, and for me, I, my whole goal was always to just play in college and get a scholarship, which I was able to do and, and have a great experience. And then I realized, Hey, look, I have a shot of maybe continuing on and playing professionally you know, I realized that sort of towards the end of my junior year, going into my senior year, my fourth year, and um, you know, did what I could to prepare for that. And, and then um, it was the first year they they went from a, a much longer, I think it was like 10 rounds down to two. So my year was the first year they did two rounds, which basically meant, um, you know, 60 people. And unfortunately, I wasn't drafted. I thought I might get picked up, you know, in the second round. Um, but my agent actually explained to me and I was, I was, I was actually lucky to not be drafted because if you're not picked in the first round where you get a guaranteed contract, typically a three-year deal with the team having a fourth year option, the second year contracts are not guaranteed. So you're stuck with one team and they can kind of pay you a minimum deal or a, a lower amount that's not guaranteed. So there's really no advantage to being in the second round. And I had a chance to then figure out where would be the best place for me to go. Um, uh, and that's kind of, you know, how, how my experience went, but um, you know, look, I had, I had four great years at Virginia leading the team. We were able to go to the NCAA tournament three years. We went to a final eight. Um, we made a strong run in the ACC tournament. We made it to, uh, you know, my, my, uh, what was it? My third year uh, we went to the finals. Actually, it's my was it my fourth year? I should be I should know that. Um, and we played, you know, the three straight days were tough, but we didn't have a tremendous depth. And we played, you know, Friday, Saturday, and then they what they do we used to have the Sunday final at noon. So you would literally play, you know, Friday night eight or nine o'clock, Saturday seven thirty, and then you'd play twelve noon on a Sunday. So you're playing three games in three days, and and that third day you're exhausted, and you're playing instead of being able to even recover or play later that evening, you'd play, you know, at noon. Um, so that was that was a tough tough stretch. But when I look when I think about it, you know, play with some really good players. Brian Stith, um, to me, was you know the most notable guy in terms of you know played another guy who played ten years in the NBA, but was just a a really good person too. And his coaching now um, was most recently in ODU. Um, you know, really enjoyed playing with um, my guys, you know, Dirk Katstra and Kenny Turner and, and Matt London, who 
you know, subsequently went on and actually played in the NFL for about five or six years as a quarterback. <laughs> um, that's how good an athlete he was. Kenny Turner played played overseas a bit in Portugal. Um, had had an opportunity to play with guys like Rich Morgan, who was a a, a great shooter. Um, you know, Anthony Oliver, um, your boy Dougie Dougie Smith, who was great. Chris Havlicek, Ted Jeffries. Um, Brent Dabbs and, and Curtis Williams, um, who came in as transfers, who boosted us up the one year. Um, there was a lot of good players and guys who, you know, came in and, and played a role um, real effectively, like Jeff Daniels and, and, and Bill Batts, who played well for us in the front court. There was just just a really good group of guys, uh, Tom, um, you know, who, who really tried to get the most out of their skills in a very competitive ACC league. So tell me what it was like for those years in the NBA, right? You played on a number of different teams. Sure. Uh, what, you, were, were you thinking ahead for life after basketball or were you all in just laser focused on the, the task at hand? Yeah, I mean, the way that it had always been for me is I had to give it everything I had um, in order to stay there. You know, I was blessed to play 11 years in the NBA. My first year out, I actually played and I got cut um, trying out for the Charlotte Hornets. So I had to play in a minor league. And that was uh, incredibly testing uh, of my mental fortitude. Um, but I subsequently made the Utah Jazz. I played there for my first three years. And it was it was a good group to, to, to join because I played behind, you know, Hall of Fame point guard and John Stockton and, and with Carl Malone, who was, you know, arguably the best power forward to ever play the game. And learned professionalism and just working hard, which was part of who I was, but how to do it at that level and how to balance, um, you know, taking care of your body and eating right and, and traveling and, and staying ready to play. And uh, I played for seven teams over 11 years, but I think those early years helped, you know, shape uh, and, you know, who I was in terms of how I performed, how competitive I continue to be, and then playing on both sides of the ball, offense and defense, which was something I think that, you know, allowed me to play as long as I did. Um, the NBA was challenging. I mean, you go from being more of a star at a college level to being, you know, one of many at, at that high level. Um, I think, um, you know, for, for me, it was about just trying to be completely focused on, on being, um, you know, on whatever team I was and use and trying to uh, utilize um, the role that I had to play to the best of my ability. And that was typically a guy coming off the bench, bringing great energy, playing, um, you know, as a backup point guard. I backed up, I think, five or six all-star point guards in my career um, on the different, on the seven different teams I was on. It was Stockton. It was Terrell Brandon, actually, in Cleveland. It was Tim Hardaway in, in Miami. In Portland, it was um, Kenny Anderson, uh, Damon Stoudemire for a little bit, too. And then in Seattle, it was Gary Payton. Um, Detroit was the only place I didn't I didn't play behind at point guard, but Grant Hill handled the ball a lot and was obviously a, an all-star, um, uh, you know, that year and, and, and going forward. And then... Um, you know, that that was uh, it was an amazing run Tom, to play that long. I, I would spend about two weeks every um, summer sort of contemplating what I was going to do next. I knew it would end, but it was it was always amazing to me that I was able to continue to you know do do my thing. And I think teams appreciated what I brought in terms of that, you know, competitiveness um, and being able to contribute, make players better around me. I could always lead a team. 
um, and, and, you know, score when I needed to keep others involved and then defend and play some of the, some of the best point guards in the league in regards to quickness and such by staying with them. So it allowed me to, to, to live my dream for a long time. I loved, um, talking to Anthony Poindexter about his experience on the football side. Uh, also love hearing about embarrassing moments, their rookie year, any embarrassing moments that you could share? I mean, look, my first like week of camp, um, I'm playing Stockton and I'm like the young, you know, hyper rookie running around trying to, trying to prove myself. So I'm, I'm trying to stick to him, you know, like glue. And he takes me, he takes me hard to the left, setting up a pick and roll and then brings me back to the right. And Carl Malone comes over and literally he knocks me out. He knocked <laughs> me out, I collapsed. I, I, hit, I ran into like his forearm guys, 255, six, nine, you know, built like a, a brick house, um, knocked me out temporarily. They're, you know, waking me up. And, he, and, you know, I remember I'm looking down it was, it was literally like, welcome to the NBA, you know, young man, you know, and then stepped over me and ran down the other, the other, um, <laughs> end of the court. So I remember that. I, I mean, there were a lot of funny things. They had me do skits my first year where I was singing and performing and they were throwing wet rolls at me. They were like blowing, splattering all over me. I used to have to carry uh, Carl Malone's bag around this, you know, it was Louis Vuitton bag everywhere, um, you know, which was, which was a lot of fun too. And he put like weights in it, you know, so. <laughs> and your, your favorite moment in a game during that time for you? Favorite moment in the game. Um, early on, I didn't play as much as I wanted to. I, I actually, I wound up my first year, my, my last two games, I wound up basically earning my right to come back the following year. I had, th I had five one-year deals my first five years in the NBA. So I was living on the edge. Um, so I played very well with uh, some, some time that I finally was able to get where I, you know, I was able to score and, and run the offense and, and get others involved the final two games of the year, um, you know, with the Jazz. My second year, um, you know, I played a little bit more. And then my third year, I, um, you know, wound up playing 80 of the 82 games. I missed the other two due to injury and, and backed up Stockton. And, and we had a good year that year. So that was, you know, that was, uh, that built a lot of confidence for me to be able to, you know, perform and be, um, successful at that level as a rotation player. And then what was the transition out of basketball? Yeah. Uh, the transition out of basketball is one that you're kind of always preparing for. And, and I'm sure a lot of professional athletes will say this, but it, it, it's, you know, you, you think it, you know, it's going to happen and you're trying to prepare for it, but when it happens, man, it kicks you right in the ass. You know I mean? It's just um, really tough. I talked about the two weeks in the summer that I would try to work um on my own personal, like where am I going or what I would do? I would do internships typically. And the NBA has amazing programs where they'll, you know, with your feet, with your input, will will put you in positions where you can try to learn. And, and to me, that was a huge factor for me. I, I did a few on a wall street where I worked, um, I actually worked on the floor of the stock exchange with a, with a specialist and a $2 broker and kind of learned how that worked. I went to an institutional desk um, one time and, and did that and saw how that worked. Um, another time I did a, uh, in, a broadcasting internship, which wound up becoming really um, important for me later on in my career. And I actually did it while I was living in Miami. I did it with Eric Reed, who's 
the current voice of the Miami Heat and who's my partner now uh, from a podcasting standpoint. And he spent time in his summer coming in and working with me. And we did two games where the sound was off and we watched the games. We actually broadcast the games and I made a, they allowed me to help me create a reel that I could then circulate around to try to get work. Um, so um, it's ironic how that wound up coming full circle and we can get into that. But um, yeah. How many years you've been doing that for? Yeah. So I've been doing, um, so since I retired in what, 0203, I really got into the commercial real estate space. I love the idea of being able to sort of control my own destiny. And I became a broker and I'm looking to invest in deals as well. And shortly thereafter, um, in 2000, late 2005, early 2006, I wound up getting the call from the Miami Heat to, to be a radio broadcaster for them. They had a guy who left the booth to become a coach, Mike Fratello. Uh, head coach and and the radio guy, Tony Fiorentino, moved up from radio to TV. So I then stepped in as the analyst on the radio side. And I did that for a long period of time. On, and then I wound up getting in doing studio TV, where I was an analyst as a studio brought, you know, before and after games when I wasn't doing the radio. And then ultimately, I got um, hired to do the, the game broadcast. Uh, it'll be uh, I've done it for four years. This will be my fifth season coming up for the Miami Heat. So I balance that with my commercial real estate during the day. And I do my broadcasting at night. I do travel with the team on the plane and I stay with the team and, and love that. And I love the game call because I do it with Eric Reed, who's a real pro who's been doing it 34 years. This will be his 35th, I believe. And he's the play by play. And then I'm the, I'm the color guy who describes the how and the why things happen. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just natural for me being a point guard, Tom. I mean, I get to, you know, kind of talk about what I see and, um, it's, it's cool having the ability to sort of explain things to people who may not understand them. I try to do it in a way that, um, I can provide former player, you know, perspective, um, and, and then really appreciate, um, you know, when things are hard, what guys are doing too. Cause I don't think sometimes people realize some, how easy sometimes these guys make the game look and the game's changed, man. It's been amazing to see, even in, since I played the physicality and, um, you know, the, the, the lack of three point shooting, I say lack of, it was still being taken, but now it's, it's, you know, become a really analytic driven league lot of movement and flow and they're allowing guys to come through the lane versus when you came through the lane, you know, um, in the eighties and nineties, it was like, boom, you know, and guys would hit you hard and slow you down. So um, it's a, it's a different game and it's, it's been fun watching that transformation. When you get around from city to city, I know it's quick jaunt in and out, but uh, mm -hmm. you get ever stopped or people come up to you and say, Hey, I went to UVA or did, like, does that happen to you ever? Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. I mean, and look, the, the, it's a small world, right? Even as a former player at the time, there were about 350, maybe 400 players. Now there's more because of the, they've expanded rosters. So, you know, I always get to see former um, players who are my friends who are now maybe coaching. I see former coaches, I see scouts, and then I'd see, you know, in different cities, I make an opportunity, you know, I make time to be able to visit friends who went to UVA, what have you, and they're, you know, in different, in different locations around the country. And, and that's really special. That's fun for me. And, uh, you know, keeps me kind of connected, um, you know, to everybody through my travels. You mentioned the real estate business. What's going on in that space right now? Sure. No, it's been a great business for me now. I can't believe it's been like 19 years going on. Um, 
So I'm a principal in a company called Avis and Young. Um, I'm a I'm a broker uh, with there's I have two partners, um, Michael Fain, David Duckworth, and I really drive the majority of the business in the state of Florida for Avis and Young on the capital markets side. And we have a team uh, of about nine other folks that work with us and for us, um, junior brokers and then analysts and, and marketing people. And basically what we're doing is we're listing and selling commercial properties, office buildings, retail centers, industrial properties, along with really big infill land development deals. So we're doing some of the biggest development deals in Miami uh, recently. We did over four, we did four hundred million plus dollar deals this past year. Um, which has been exciting. And Miami has been an amazing place to, you know, we're doing deals around the state, but South Florida, which is considered Palm Beach, Broward, Miami-Dade has just been on fire with, you know, as, as it relates to particularly the, the pandemic. I mean, we're seeing some of the heavy regulated, you know, government cities that are, are have kept people shut in and shut down. Uh, we're seeing people coming down to Florida in droves um, and this includes a lot of decision makers who are coming down and looking to invest in in uh, South Florida. So it's been a great time to be in the real estate business uh, in the Miami area. I seem to remember when we were talking once, you were telling me about, didn't you guys just do something where you donated a fee back to charity? What what, what was that about? Yeah, about- that, was a, that was a really, whew, that's a, that was a special deal. And um, so we were involved this past year um with the Champlain Towers um disaster that you know where 98 people were killed in that condo that collapsed um right on the beach um you know and the court system due to our our expertise and in handling what were called plan of termination deals old condo buildings that fold their rights in and then we sell um the the, the land basically to a developer and they wipe away the condo and knock down the older building, you know, and then build a new one. In this case, unfortunately, the older building had fallen down. So um, we marketed the property on behalf of the court and the families, and we were able to bring in a, a buyer from as far away as Dubai, which is crazy, um, for 120 million. And um, you know, we were able to donate, um, you know, the large portion of our fee back to um, the families, and, and it was the right thing to do. It was great. It's one of those amazing deals to be a part of. It was so sad and tragic, and uh, and what happened. Hard to believe it, it would happen in our country that something you know could break down that badly. And there's been a, a big push in in Florida, in particular, with reg- new regulation to monitor you know condo associations and make sure that they're actually you know, funding life safety stuff and, and not kicking it down the curb there in regards to maybe paying assessments on some of those older properties. So I know we're going to wrap it up soon, but I'm not letting you go until you start telling me about your family. Tell me about the girls. I want to hear everything that they're up to. Sure, sure. So uh, it's crazy. I'm 53 now. Um, so graduated in 91. And, um, you know, Karen and I, um, have been married now for it's amazing, like 27 years. We got two daughters, 25 and 23. Um, Cassie and Connor, they both went to the University of Virginia. We're blessed to have them come, uh, you know, come here too, and and really have that that experience that uh, we we can all share that, which is really cool. Um, Cassie's actually getting her master's now at Georgetown, and um, you know, looking to do something in foreign service related, which I think will be really cool for her. And then Connor. Uh, has been out about a year. She's been working um, uh, in Miami with a, 
a company called Newslink and um, just took the LSAT looking to, you know, go, go to law school. So uh, they're both both uh, in a good place. I think UVA helped get them ready for for life like it did uh, Kara and I. And, uh, you know, the, the big new the big new thing, Tom, is we uh, we finally stepped up and, and got uh, a small farm up here in Charlottesville, where, where I'm at right now and spending some time up here. So our, our love for Virginia, um, you know, finally came to fruition to circle back and uh, get a place here close enough to Charlottesville. And, and yet you feel like you're kind of far away and it slows you down a bit coming from, um, from Miami, which I love the activity. I love the action of Miami, but it's nice to come up here and kind of slow it down and have some fun and be near, near the university. Still going to Bodo's bagels. Still going to Bodo's bagels, man. That's a staple. Um, what's incredible to me up here now though, is just the, um, continued development of all these new wineries and just things outside the university that I didn't had, you know, no exposure to at all as a student, right. Um, pretty locked into what's going on in, in that, in that college life, um, you know, whether it's the, the corner or the, um, you know, the fraternities and, and that, I mean, even the downtown mall, you know, which has gotten obviously way better with, you know, during our era was not even really existent. Right. But when you put in all these other opportunities and things to do, there's just wineries and distilleries and, you know, just fun other things you can do um, outside the university. And, and, and they're only within, you know, 10 to 20 minutes. So it's, it's pretty cool. I'm going to warn you about this next question, just so you're ready for it. I used to be good buddies with Ted Jeffries until he answered this question it was such a repulsive <laughs> answer that I could not, I had to cut him off. He's like one of those people. I had to like push him out of my life. What's your favorite Bodo's order? Favorite Bodo's order, man. I'm, I'm so down the middle, man. I go everything bagel with mustard, turkey, lettuce, tomato, um, and throw on a little Swiss cheese on there. I like the big green Caesar salad as well. Um, you know, have them shake that and mix it up for me little Diet Coke, um, and I'm, I'm ready to rock. You see, Ted, you could have I stayed. Can't even believe what, what did Ted say? I, I can't even, it's like the, the FCC just like shut me down with it. It was so bad. <laughs> Any words of wisdom for the current imps that you want to import? No, man. I, I Look, I need to get more involved. I'd love to check them out, particularly when I'm up here. Um, just embrace what I talked about earlier and just the diversity of the group and how much fun it is to meet different people that maybe are out outside your, your, your friend circle and, um, enjoy the four years It goes quick. And it's, uh, it's so unique to, to be able to, um, meet so many different people, um, all in one place and have those experiences. And, um, you know, thanks for having me, Tom. It's been great. Great. Johnny C. You were a class act back then. You're a class act now, man. It's awesome to see everything you've done. Forget about professionally, but as a husband, a dad, and just living your life, man, you are just a role model for everybody. And I loved having you on and catching up with you again, my brother. Circle of Hensky, man. That's the goal going forward right now. I love it. <laughs> All right. We're going we're gonna to have to trademark that. <laughs> All right, Johnny. Take care, buddy. Take care, Tom. See you. Hi there, Tom here. 
Before I let you go, I want to tell you about my other podcast, Total Sense. As you may know, after my time as an imp, I went on to become a financial advisor. Okay, stop laughing. Don't act so surprised. In each episode, I share advice to parents about how to talk to kids about money. As a parent, I know how difficult that money conversation can be, so I hope you'll listen and find it helpful. It's Total Sense, C-E-N-T-S, as in money, available anywhere you get your podcasts.